Um, I'm back, um, having suffered from a cold two weeks ago, and then uh, Joe and I were at David's tent. Um, has any of you been to David's tent? Can I recommend? Oh, well, you were there with us. <laughs> but can I recommend? It's, it's an amazing time. It's a, a massive tent that has 72 hours worth of worship. So it just carries on. Amazing, uh, amazing groups and bands. Um, just worshipping God and it, it was just incredible. Can I just ask, I'm, I'm stepping off script a bit, but I felt the Lord while I was there, two things. The first thing is this, is that um, men, could you stand please? And ladies, these are your Adams. These are, God, God made them. God loves them very, very much. And when I was at David's tent, I could tell you there were three to one. Three women to one man. And we have lots of ladies groups. We have lots of ladies this and ladies that. But men, I want to let you know that you represent Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And ladies, could you just, wherever you are, could you just reach out and just touch them as we just pray for them? Because they stand for Jesus. And they need to encourage their fellow men to come around. And Lord, we just want to pray over these Adams, these Adams that you made, you made in your likeness, that you love. And Father, I just pray for your influence over them. They are the heads of the household, just as you pray. We pray for them, that your Holy Spirit will come into them, and as we see revival come, Lord, they will be at the front leading. We just pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. Okay, so it, it's good to be home. <laughs> so it's good to be home and be a part, part of Grace Vineyard and I don't, get, I, I don't get lots of opportunities to speak and thank you so much for your grace, <laughs> Grace Vineyard. Um, <clears throat> to listen to me, and, and today what I want to be starting on is a new series, um, it's called The Seven I Am's of Jesus, and we've just finished a series on identity and um, who we are in Christ. We now get an opportunity to learn who Jesus said he was through these seven I Am statements, and they're fairly straightforward. But earlier on um, in the series, I recall Mark did a talk where the disciples were asked by Jesus, who do the people say I am? He also asked them, who do you think I am? And of course, we all know they responded with a number of different answers until Peter said, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus responds by changing his name to Simon Peter, uh, to Peter, I beg your pardon, from Simon to Peter, meaning rock. And on this rock, he will build his church. The I am statements that Jesus uses to describe himself 
are significant, having a, a special meaning which Jews at that time would have understood. They are significant because they prove that Jesus is God and is the God of the Old Testament. When God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, he told Moses his name. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, I am, and say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am means self-existent one and always being. Unlike we, who at one time didn't exist, we are human, finite beings, but God is and always was since he inhabits eternity. All seven I am statements are found in the Gospel of John. Some of them are in other Gospels, but John's Gospel is very specific about drawing them out and focusing on them. John seems to be less interested in what Jesus did and felt, but rather more interested in who Jesus was and his character. The things about him that made him such a good leader and why we should model his behavior. And here they are. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Today, I will be talking about my second favorite topic, Joe being my first. Let's get that out straight away. And it's not wine either. Food. I am the bread of life. Bread was and is so important to most of the world. It is made from milled wheat, barley, and or maize, and is the second most consumed food in the world today rice being the most. the most. To most people of that day, it would have been eaten at nearly every meal. We now know that bread is a high source of carbohydrate, which is not only key to our survival, but it also gives us energy to undertake physical activity, which was important in those days as most roles involved a form of laboring. In 1943, a social psychologist named Abraham Maslow developed and published a human motivation theory, which was called the hierarchy of human needs theory. It attempts to understand what motivates our behavior, and food forms part of our basic needs to survive and would have been our first motivation. Maslow believed and wrote that once each level is fulfilled, only then can one move up to the next level. And in the same way, Jesus is saying that he was the bread of life, which meant that he was stating that he is our life source, and without him, we will not survive. From a Jewish perspective, 
It was a statement about God's provision for his people and points back to when the Israelites were in the desert and manna was provided for them six out of seven days following their exodus from slavery in Egypt. This was a demonstration of God's protection to his people and gave them everything they needed to survive. In John chapter 6, which is where we're going to stay most of the time, um, the bread of life statement is found. There are key events, discussions, that take place before and after the statement. They bring out the character of Jesus, which demonstrates he is in fact God. And what I'd like to do today is use a set of stories relating it back to some of the passages in chapter 6 that shows he still is the bread of life today and gives us everything we need to survive in the harsh world that we live in. I've used and adapted a series from a Bible app called Your Time of Grace. So sorry to those who have stumbled upon it before, but if you get the opportunity, see if there are any new messages that you can pull out and share it. So what does Jesus give us? Jesus gives us abundance from nothing. Anne-Marie lives in Arkansas and suffers from epidermolosis demosa, which means her skin blisters very easily. She can't rub her skin. She can't do physical activity or go swimming as there is a risk to her skin um, peeling and blistering. There is a salt water remedy, but the condition is so bad that it would mean her parents would have to buy her and install a salt water pool, which costs about $40,000. They didn't have $40,000, But when Anne-Marie's 10-year-old neighbor, Bethany, jumped into action, she started making and selling silver bloom bracelets. She created a Facebook page and told people what she was selling them for and started to get orders from Arkansas and Illinois and Wisconsin and New York and Canada and Sweden and Finland, and all over the world. And 19 months later, from when she had started selling the bracelets, she had raised $47,000, proving you don't need a lot to make a significant difference. In John chapter 6, it starts out with a wonderful miracle of Jesus feeding more than 5,000 people. But at the beginning... It doesn't start out so great. As they they were around the hungry crowd, it was time to eat and they were looking for food to give everyone. His disciples pointed out that there was little food available. Peter said in in John chapter, uh, chapter 6 verse 9, Here is a boy who has five small barley loaves and two small fish but how far will this go among so many? 
It's a legitimate question. Only a few loaves and a couple of fish. And yet, from that amount, Jesus was able to feed thousands. You might be looking at that story and saying, it's a really nice story, Mike. It's a really nice situation. But you don't know my story. You don't know the money I'm lacking. You don't know the little strength I have every day. You don't know how much isn't around. You don't know the nothing I have in my hands in order to accomplish the everything that my life demands. You're right. I don't know. I don't know these things. But Jesus does. In fact, Jesus knows what it's like to have nothing in his hands except a couple of nails. As he hung on his cross and from nothing he was able to give us the abundance of heaven. He was able to fill this world with such an abundance of forgiveness that it covers every sin and fills our soul with the assurance that our God, our God, will give you everything you need to accomplish the very important tasks you have been put in front of you. Jesus gives us the very best. He gives us the very best. When I was 17, one of my best friends, Yanni, um, was fishing with his cousin, Jason, by the side of a dam on his father's farm in, in Zimbabwe. It was during the school holidays, and it was an extended holiday as we were waiting for our O-level results to come out, so we had lots of fun. It was a hot summer's day, and they decided to go for a swim. Unfortunately, the currents in the dam were very strong, and although they were very strong swimmers, they got pulled into the middle of the dam and pushed over the spillway. Jason barely survived, but Yanni died. It was a huge shock to our community, to our school, and it was the first big loss and realization of death. Yanni is what us Zimbabweans call a legend. He was strong, he was fun, he was kind and he was liked by everyone he met. This situation is the kind of situation which makes people ask why. Why would something like that happen to someone like him? Why would God allow something like that to happen to someone like him? Or his parents, when he has the rest of his life ahead of him? It is the kind of things that makes you wonder about the things Jesus said. And in John chapter 6, 35, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But there are so many situations in life that make us feel hungry and thirsty and make us feel as if we are never going to be satisfied with the good life Jesus describes there. But it is really important to understand 
what your definition of a good life is. When we were growing up, we often talked about what we call today our bucket list. What we really wanted to achieve. And some of the key things I recall were number one, to play rugby for our first 15 rugby side at school. To see Keith Skint from The Prodigy perform live. And number three, to pass our O-levels with high enough grades that we could go back and play more rugby at school. When we were 16, we were selected uh, for the first team rugby side um, to Argentina. There was a rugby tour that we went to. and We got to play for our first 15 whilst on tour. The next summer, Yanni got to go to Australia, and there he got tickets to see the prodigy who were playing in Perth. Shortly after he died, we found out that he got good enough marks to come back to school. By his definition, he'd probably say he had a good life. Just like Jesus believed when he was hanging on a cross, nothing in his hands except a bit of iron. He was hungry, he was thirsty in ways we could never imagine. As a punishment for our sins and don't, and, and don't even belong to him. They came speeding towards him and he just decided to hang in there and let it hit him. Because Jesus had a bucket list too. It was not to, st- to not stop living until he had offered the very best life worth living as a sacrifice to save the one thing in this world that meant more to him than anything. He chose to save you so you could walk through this life knowing that whatever this hard world takes away from you, you can still expect the very best God could ever give. Jesus gives us satisfaction. You, know, you may know the saying, taking one for the team. In other words, someone takes the fall in order for the team to succeed. We used to have a rugby move um, where one of our team members would run interference, um, causing the opposing team to think he was carrying the ball and they would try to tackle him. This created a hole in their defense, and the actual ball carrier would run through and score a try. I remember the one time we did this move, and Dave Hobbs isn't here, but he would confirm, that um, the team member uh, running the interference uh, got tackled so badly, he got concussion and had to be carried off the field. The outcome of the move is, is that we, um, we scored the winning try and overall the team was pretty satisfied, particularly at after, after, after game drinks. But for the concussed teammate, I'm not sure he truly, he truly felt. Uh, I'm not sure how he truly felt. But I'm sure he didn't expect to be carried off the field that day. 
Do you know how it feels not to win or to look for something good only to end up disappointed? We're all looking for something good. A good job, a good life, a good marriage, that perfect win. But at the end of the day, you end up feeling either satisfied or disappointed. In John chapter 6, Jesus explains that we will find lasting satisfaction when we feast on the bread of life. He says he can only, we can only find the bread of life when we first come to the Father. And we can only come to the Father when we first come to the Son. And then he says something really interesting in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, Jesus doesn't think you have the ability to come to him. But before you get upset about that, think about what that really means. It means that Jesus doesn't think you need to be strong enough, doesn't think you need to be smart enough, doesn't think you need to be secure enough in your, in your faith in order to come to him. In other words, Jesus believes you can be kind of weak, kind of unsure, kind of insecure in all the most important things that God could ever give. In the same way that we were able to leave that rugby field satisfied because someone else's pain made made it happen, except it wasn't a one-off concussion. It was a whip. It was some thorns. It was some nails. And it was a cross that caused the pain that Jesus went through so that you can live with the assurance that there's nothing in all creation that is going to stop you from getting to the place where there is no death, there is no crying, there is no pain, and every last hair is finally wiped away. Jesus gives us the one thing. So I work in the healthcare system and we're often faced with making difficult choices. Sometimes they need to be made immediately and it can impact on other people's lives. I remember going through a complaint um, from a grieving relative uh, where the hospital had to make a decision of giving, uh, about giving up an intensive care bed uh, for, a, for, for a patient that was due a cancer operation. It was, in, it, was, it, was, it was due to the fact that someone else had had a gunshot wound and that that person needed to go to intensive care and that was deemed more urgent. Anyway, the cancer patient eventually got their treatment um, it was only a few days later, but um, the, the, patient, the patient's relatives believed that that was the crux. It was too late to prevent the spread of the disease. And that, that patient only lived another six months after the operation. Now, we don't know why something like this happens, 
or why God allows this to happen. We don't know why God allows things like this to happen to you in your life. But we do know this. We know that God understands exactly the moments that, like this that you are going through. Even Jesus knew the chance of dying. Oh, sorry, even Jesus knew that he was taking a risk. Everything that he came into this world to do, not because he had, a cha- he had the chance of dying from cancer or being shot, but because he chose to embrace a world of sin, a world of sin which could only be saved by a saviour like him. That he would sacrifice his life for it. And do we know how hard it was for him? Do we understand how hard it must have been to look at his disciples in the face and wash their feet at the same time? Knowing that one of them would betray him that very night. Knowing that the pain he would have had to endure for every one of us. No, we don't really. But we are certain about one thing, that God wants us to carry this message with us every day. That you are going to be okay. You are going to be okay. You are going to be okay. And that's what we see at the cross A promise that God will never leave your side for any reason. A promise that God can create the best kind of good from the world's pain. From this world's pain. (coughs) And he will give you everything you need to walk with him. And that is why Peter answered the way he did when Jesus looked at him, at his disciples, at the end of chapter 6 and asked if they wanted to leave him. Peter looked at him and said in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's what the bread of life is. It's a God that will always understand you and always be there for you and will never fail to lead you to the eternal life that is most certainly coming. So, how do we respond to what Jesus has given us? He's given us abundance from nothing, the very best. Satisfaction. He gives us satisfaction. Gives us that one thing, one thing. For me, it's become easy to listen to lots of stories and remind ourselves about just what Jesus has done for me and not do anything different. Last Saturday I was in David's tent and I was doing exactly that. I had a bad cough and a temperature. I'd only had five and a half hours sleep um, in a very uncomfortable, well, a comfortable tent because I was with my wife, but a very uncomfortable tent. Um, I was in no mood to worship, really. It was, I think it was 8.30 or, or quarter to nine. Um, I felt like I was going through the motions. I'd already heard the same things I've been hearing all year. 
Things like, now is the time. We are feeling an axe moment. That revival was coming and it was sweeping across Europe and now it's going to hit Britain. But did I believe it? Did I feel encouraged? I must be honest, I didn't at that stage. I was just going through the motions, and the mu- but the music was really good, so that helped. Joe had just left the tent, and I picked up our little Bible and started to read it. I was hoping for something encouraging, and I landed in Colossians at the start of chapter 3. It was entitled, Lessons for Good Living. And I immediately thought, oh no, God, you've just brought me to somewhere like something about teaching, or uh, I just want to be inspired. I want to I be inspired, Lord. But as I read it, my heart began to change, and the words just came alive on that page. So I'd just like to read it to you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also appear with him in glory. Amen. And what it's reminded me was I've been living to the world's standards. I have a boss that's absolute nightmare (laughs) absolute nightmare she has standards and I've been trying to live to them I have friends who are absolute nightmares amazing I love them a lot of them are here (laughs) but absolute nightmares but I love them but I've been living to their standards What it reminded me was that because of what Jesus did, my perspective can change. Your perspective can change. I shouldn't have to focus on the standards that I am required to meet in order to feel like I fit in this world. I don't have to have that big house, that nice car, that fancy job, Because of what Jesus did, I can bathe in his glory. And actually now I have standards that are much higher than what the world says I need to have. From that moment on, my worship shifted from a place of disinterest to excitement and enthusiasm. It was almost instantaneous. Like God had put put me on a surfboard and I was riding away from which which didn't do anything, which I didn't have to do anything, but enjoy his presence. I was ruined for the Lord. Ruined, absolutely ruined. And it didn't stop 
for the rest of the weekend. You can ask Joe. Um, I had a sense of God straight into my heart, and he was smiling down at me and my expressions of worship. Uh, I, I just want to thank Rach. Rach, your worship on Friday night was amazing. Dave, your worship on Friday night was amazing. Today, worship was amazing. And I just, I just get this sense that God is, when we worship, God looks down and he smiles at us. He smiles. He, he, he reflects just what we are doing. And that's what's so important. We are the vineyard. That's, we are a worshiping church. And that is so important for us to remember. I had a sense that God was, was looking straight into my heart and smiling at my worship. But the amazing thing was, it was easy. Ask Joe. Sunday was even more crazy. Literally, I danced for 10 hours straight from 12.30 until 10.30. I left the tent once to go and get some water. I didn't even go for a wee. <laughs> and I didn't get anything. We didn't have anything to eat. We only ate at about 10.30, quarter to 11 that night. Um, something happened to me in that tent. Um, and it reminded me that through Jesus Christ... I can do anything. I can do anything. And you can do anything. Shortly after that weekend, I reflected on it, and I realized that although I've raised my hands, I've worshipped God, sometimes I brush him aside. I brush aside my first true love. I brush aside the person that made me without even knowing I have. I can truly see that now is the time. 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 Now is the time time that millions of people come to know the Lord. Now is the time to be a part of it. And we get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of it. I get to be a part of it. So are we ready? Are we ready? Are we prepared for ourselves? Are we prepared for people to come in and disciple? For people to care, for, for us to care for those people, for us to love them, to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. I decided in that tent I would not leave the same way as I came. And therefore, Joe and I are going to be doing a worship evening every Friday night where we can. We can praise God. We can love God. We can hold God up higher than any of our other things and just put all those things aside and start our weekends with loving Jesus and watch him smile down to us. Amen. Amen. Where we can, get a lo- we can get and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and take complete control. And this is our invitation to you. Please come. Please come. There might be only a few of us sometimes, but that doesn't matter because it'll make God smile. And could the band come up, please? Now, I believe there are people, there are lots of people, 
But there are people who felt spiritual dryness, who have a desire to come out of the spiritual dryness. There are also people like me who have brushed God aside and brushed the promises that God has made and forgotten that the Lord can do so much more than we can ever imagine. I also believe there are people here who feel like they have risked everything and yet God has not responded. I believe God wants to tell you that he sees the love that you are displaying and to stay faithful because your rewards are coming. I believe there are people here who feel like they have a big mountain to climb and lost a sense of their purpose. And finally, I believe that there are people who have dreams, big dreams, no matter what age they are, but don't feel like they have the right skills or the abilities to achieve them. I believe God wants you to know that nothing is impossible through him. So if there are any of those of you, I want you to come pray. Come pray with me now. Because through prayer and intercession, Jesus will come alive in your life. Yeah. And give you the desires of your heart. So as we begin to worship and play two more songs, come up for prayer. I dare you, come up for prayer. Remember, the longer you wait, the longer it will take. So come. I'm not going to close in prayer. I'm just going to wait for you to respond to Jesus and for us to respond to his calling.